This week's sponsor is Kender Acquisitions. You want a spoon? We probably got it. You want a fantasy novel? Oh, sure, it's around here somewhere. You want a... Hey, where'd that come from? Anyways, we get things for you that we didn't even know we got for you. Anytime, anyplace, anything at Kender Acquisitions, we can get our hands on what you want. This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast. A podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willer for letting us use his music at our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. Welcome to the 489th episode of the Misdirected Mark Podcast. Tonight, we discuss using published material in your tabletop role-playing games. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. I am Chris. And I am Old Man Logan. No weird name today? <laughs> that was a spur-of-the-moment thing last week. <laughs> <laughs> you used to do it all the time. Now I it's used like, to do it all the time back in the day, and nobody knew it, because nobody could read the paper. Mm. Would you <laughs> like I to? wasn't talking into the mic. <laughs> would you like to take, take the temperature? I would, like, I would love to take everybody's temperature, but that would be awkward. So, I'm just going to ask. Jerry, how are you feeling? Good. Tired, but good. We got cold weather coming through here, and so I don't sleep as well until everything kind of evens out, so... I'm just exhausted tonight, but uh, having a good time here, though. This gives me lots of energy. Bill? It's uh, cold and damp, so my uh, my barometer, <laughs> my uh, left arm barometer, has uh, been feeling fantastic. I don't mean to laugh. No, it's fine. I mean, because I just is... keep thinking how you got ripped off from the cyberpunk arm. That's right. I got I got a fully I got a fully cyberpunked arm, and all I got was the fucking barometer attachment. Um, you need better insurance, man. Totally sucks, right? I, mean, I got the could have gave you a plaser or a you know anything. A back, hey, back... Even if I had like a spork, like just a yeah. retractable sure. spork, a Swiss like, Army arm. Hey, back just, alley ripper doc. I'm talking about get. literally spork. Like nothing else, just spork pops out. <laughs> eat a few things, spork goes back does it, in. Does it self clean at least? I'm no. You gotta clean it before you let the spork go back <laughs> in. I, 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 he's like he's like he's he's like budget Wolverine. Yeah, <laughs> detachable spork. Well, so you can no, put it in the dishwasher. No, detachable's no good. Then I just have a spork. Like, the idea that it pops out and pops back in—that's so bad. Maybe we should move on to Chris. <laughs> He's got an arm slot to put his arm into the dishwasher. <laughs> it's called a sink, guys. You just wash it in the sink. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. You're right. <laughs> uh, I turned forty-three. Um, yeah. Happy, happy birthday, birthday Chris. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big not fan of my birthday. Yes, yeah, so we was, don't talk about this it. This year was pretty good. Bills got trounced. That wasn't oh. fun. They didn't get trounced. They actually trounced the Dolphins and still lost the game, which is upsetting. Right. Bob doesn't like to think about it. I was going to take a picture of me uh, laying on my living room floor. I know, right? One. Just, Instead, I just didn't take the picture. Still on my living room feel? floor. How do you feel? Uh, it hurts. How do you feel? But it's a week three loss. Like I, it, it's it, fine. It's fine, Whatever. but it was just, it was tough. It might, they might lose next week, which is the, which is also problematic. But You're not listening to me. How do you feel? It's Bob, the temperature check. Bob, how do you feel? Look, man, the Bills play an integral role in how I feel over the course of a week. Okay. That's not really true. It's only sort of true. I usually get over it after a while. I, I like watching football. It makes me happy. So I, I, I don't know. I played like three role-playing games this weekend. I got to use a gun blade to shotgun blast a bunch of ball bearings into a mirror night that was an enjoyable thing like i'm just i'm pretty high like on all of the good stuff mm-hmm. good so many dopamine hits good cool. okay bob yeah i'm tired uh, wait a minute wait a minute bob 
Did you want to like stick the thermometer in our butts to take our temperature? Because that's weird, man. Like you could have just used the under the tongue or under no, the armpit. No, they have the they have the thing where you just aim it at the forehead. So no, then, why is it awkward? Because I would have to go around the table and stand awkward there. Awkward. We have the... to bend over and he has to point the laser. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now how are you feeling, Bob? <laughs> It's laser, right. We're but not doing the butt right, check temperatures. Right, <laughs> that, was, that, was re- that was relevant, right? Hey, like, listen, the temperature check. You, you define awkward your own way. I'm just saying. What know, does you don't judge you? It's not the first laser I've had pointed. Never mind. <laughs> so yeah, I'm tired too, <laughs> and uh, and my neck is a little cranky. But other than uh, that, we are having a ball tonight. Um, if you couldn't tell. tell me your pod. Yes. Tell me your podcast is full of old people without telling me your podcast yes, is full of old people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so on that note, we should probably do the thing. Uh, we do the thing. Workshop, workshop. Go to the store, buy a buy a module, bring it home, open it up, read it, run it for everybody. It's gonna be fine. You're gonna love it. Use that published material. Go buy it at the store and take it to the workshop. And don't, don't suck. suck. Don't suck. <laughs> All right. This topic kind of came out of a discussion we had about campaign prep and our history of published materials. Each of us has been gaming for decades, and over that time, we use a number of different settings, modules, and sometimes campaign tools that just help make for some really great games. Can I tell you how I know we're old? Oh. Keep saying the word module. There you go. <laughs> for you youngins, that's and adventure. Also decades. I said decades. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's I mean. how we know that that's we're old. That's how we know that we're old, because <sighs> we've been doing it for decades. I'm just saying module is, module is old man speak. You know, so, when we started doing this, I was 33. Wait, you see how old you are by the time he's talking about tonight. Literally tonight, it's been like 10 years since we started this. It's been like almost 11, actually. We're getting close. (laughs) Well, on top of that, tonight, we're going to talk about how and why published materials might be a great fit for you in your games. But before we start, I want to say that there is no stigma to using published materials. Over the more than 40 years that I've been gaming, I've played with many great GMs who use modules and settings created by others. Sometimes a GM may use published adventures and settings for the majority of their campaign. And other times, this use bits and pieces to add details or encounters or rules. Either way, this can make for some great games. So we're going to say it here. Using published material has zero bearing on your ability as a GM. The same goes if you're predominantly a GM that homebrews their adventures and settings. It's all about preference and style and what makes for the best game at your table. Play the way that makes you happy. And before we go on, we have to do the uh, thing where Phil defines some stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do that. Behold! You are in the presence of Definition Panda. Were you having trouble finding the button? I mean, on the gizmo over here, yes. Okay. Just, we'll talk about it after the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the draw map. Oh, no need. Oh, gee. Oh, geez. <laughs> O is O G. O and G, yeah, both are kind of important there. I'm defining, guys. <laughs> you started it. I did start it. It's his fault. You missed the, the button. All right. He found it eventually. He did. It was only a little awkward for that few moments. I sympathize with a What's lot of women. What's important is that you find it in the end, okay? <laughs> You're not going to go there. No, not about you. I'm just saying in general. Yes. You're fine. Okay. You're fine. <laughs> anyway, we had a few definitions, man. <laughs> Folks that like, like, let's get moving. Let's mind. get moving. We, we have a few <laughs> definitions this evening. One of these is coming from the official dictionary. That's gonna that's gonna help us out with our topic. We're gonna start with published material. In order to get into this, I'm taking it apart. We're gonna break it down, build it back up. So we're gonna start this uh, backwards. We're gonna use the word material in the RPG context. This can mean anything that's in support of a game. So game setting, adventure, module, source book, those kinds of things. The kind of things that aren't the core rules. 
published. This is our official definition, prepared and issued for public sale or readership. And this means someone has prepared the material and made it available for the world, as opposed to keeping it in your OneNote mm -hmm. or Google Doc or something like that for yourself. When we talk about published material, there is fan-based published material where the person who is making it is doing it for fun, may not be charging anything, and may or may not have any experience in game design. They could just be doing it for the first time, or they could be an experienced game designer who whipped something up. Mm -hmm. The implication here is that the quality will likely be a bit more simple in terms of like layout, artwork, etc. Now, for every one of these, there's an outlier. So there are perfectly good fan-made stuff that looks amazing. Mm -hmm. And then there's fancy word docs. Just don't put it up for an any. Mm. Move on, move on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and then... <laughs> okay, then there's professional-based, where the person who's making it is doing this for profit. And it's implied that they have some experience in game design. Implied. Not everybody does. Just hold that in your head. Mm -hmm. The connotation here about the word professional is that the quality will be a bit more complex and elaborate, including high quality, higher quality artwork, more complex layouts, things like that. Again, there are outliers for this, too. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of published stuff that is super simple. And there is Pathfinder and 5e level layout art looking mm -hmm. stuff, right? Like Free League. Free League, Free. exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. So depending on the skills of the person who's created the material, this may or may not matter. There are plenty of fan-based products that are amazing, and there have been more than enough professionally produced materials that were subpar. I will refer you to the D20 boom of the early 2000s. I tried not to remember that. Like, I've tried to blank it out <laughs> right? in my mind. Like, I don't even know what happened. All right. Having taken it all apart, let's put it back together and make a definition here. For tonight's discussion, published material is going to be anything that is in support of a game setting adventure, module, or source book that was prepared and issued for public sale or readership. That is a lot of stuff. It is a lot. Yep. Let's narrow it down the focus a little more for this discussion tonight. We are going to focus on settings, adventures, and materials built around enhancing settings and adventures. One last definition just to throw it in here. It's going to come up at least a couple times in the uh, talk. Reskinning. Taking the situations, encounters, characters, equipment, or mechanics of one game system reworking them to fit into another game system. I'm going to define this on the fly here. Reskinning is usually taking off the trappings while keeping the underpinnings and changing what it looks like. I love reskinning. Sure. One of my favorite things to do with games. Yeah. So there's drifting. We once did this in a either a pandas or an old misdirected mark. Mm. There is drifting where you actually also alter the mechanics yeah. to make it work for the game that you're working for. So there's reskinning and there's drifting. Mm. So really quick, reskinning is like taking the stat blocks for an ogre, removing all the description of ogre, putting on description for something completely different, like robot, and rolling it out into your into your game. It looks like a robot, but the underpinnings of it are all the stats for mm. for okay. like an ogre. Okay. And then there's drifting, where I'm going to take a thing from Traveler and put it and go put it into Star, Star Frontiers. Yeah, yeah. All right. And that sometimes you do both. With that all being said, let's start by discussing some of the reasons why a GM may want to use published materials in their RPGs. Boop, 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 boop. There are disclaimer from Mr. Mark Productions. Flawless is an incomplete list and is in no particular order. Boop, 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 boop. Easing the load of game prep. This is the most obvious one, but published modules and settings can take a lot of the load off of GMs because sometimes being a GM can be hard work. Always. Hey. We covered that a few episodes ago. Look, man, I acquiesced to your shtick once. I will not do it again, Myers. Unless it's funny. Then, then, I'll, then I'll do it. 
Anyways, in published materials, plots, backgrounds, and encounters are already laid out, making it easier and quicker to get the game ready. In addition to using modules as part of long playing campaigns, these materials also work well when the adventurer needs a side quest, flashback adventure, or when you're scrambling for an encounter when you make the mistake of giving your party a choice you never intended or thought they would make. Holy lord, have I done that. <laughs> <sighs> the side quest works especially well when one or more of the players can't make it to the game, but you still want to have an adventure that week. This also works well when you just need a smaller encounter to stick into something you already have prepared. 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 Yes. Prepared, 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 prepared. We're all gonna be prepared. Da, 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 da. You need a small goblin lair, a seedy planetary cantina, or a cultist-ridden warehouse where the reporter's being held? There's tons of quality adventures with those encounters already fleshed out. You just need to reskin them, which is what we're gonna talk about in a bit. But pulling encounters out of the published materials can help lighten your load. The next one we're gonna talk about is nostalgia. Because let's face it, many of us have fond memories of games we played when we were younger. Some of us were a lot younger. So much. <laughs> That's true. All of these. There's a bunch of reasons we don't want to bring these materials back to our groups, though. From sharing our previous experiences with players at our table, to reliving the joy of running our favorite adventure, maybe even going back to explore our favorite setting or getting an older game system. How do we do that? By using one of the adventures originally published for the game. Oh, that, that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because you can even update a published adventure or setting to a newer edition or even an entirely different game. These days, a lot of the classic fantasy adventures we played years ago have been updated to newer systems making them even easier to run for gamers that are unfamiliar with the older game engines. WotC has put out updated 5e versions of Saltmarsh, as well as several of the classic S-series in the Yawning Portal book, things like Two of Horrors and White Plume Mountain. Goodman Games has updated a number of the classic basic and expert modules of 5th edition as well. Um, I have a bunch of those, and they're really beautiful. They're enormous. <sighs> My wife tends to buy me one or two every year for Christmas. Mm. And there's even licensed version of the first two Pathfinder Adventure paths that have now been updated to be played in Savage Worlds as official games. One of them's even been updated to be 5e. Yes. Looking forward to seeing how they do with that, too. All of these can be great ways to play some of your favorite adventures, just with a new crowd. Next up, pop culture and shared experiences. The next reason is related to nostalgia, and that is shared experience. An advantage of published materials are that they are both readily available and played by large number of gamers. Mm -hmm. This means that gamers meeting other gamers will often have different but shared experiences playing those published adventures and settings. So, you know, this brings up an interesting point for me is that I, uh, a lot of times people bang on the D&D Adventures thing for not being like quality or good or whatever. But that thing that you just said right there is one of the biggest advantages that they have. Yeah. The amount of times I hear players of D&D Adventures League talking about adventures that they played together at conventions and even away from conventions mm -hmm. is extreme it's like a good chunk of their their social culture so it's the mcdonald's effect you go to no. mcdonald's because you pretty much know what's going to be there when yeah you get it's there. not that no 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 it's not that it's not that it's the good modules get talked about amongst everybody hmm? just like you know how people used to talk about barry peaks you can go talk to somebody that played Barry Peaks and have talk about their experiences and your experiences. And it's a very different thing. Yeah, which to me is not the McDonald's effect. Yeah. No, but what I'm yeah. saying is if I roll up onto a con mm -hmm. and I see that they've got AL content, mm -hmm. I'm fairly confident I know what I'm getting. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay. No. It's about it's about the experience that they had that they can talk about later. Okay. Yeah, like, I think that's also then just a perk. Like you talk to people sure. who've been playing for a couple of years and you, and you mentioned the word Ravenloft to them. Sure. Now, now to us older groups, Ravenloft might mean something different, but to the sure. to the players who are playing with the newer edition. You tell them Ravenloft, almost everybody has one or two of their favorite adventures that they had in that game that they'll, that they'll mention. They'll mention the name of the adventure, mm -hmm. and sometimes the rest of the players will shudder. <laughs> Not in disgust, but in, oh, that was tough. And that's always fun, because then everybody can talk about, how did you get past this? How did you do this? How did you do that? And that shared experience 
links gamers who might not have played together, yeah. but they have something to talk about. And, and for some reason, to me, the, the, the Adventures League, because they're such small chunks, they're those four-hour, mm-hmm. two-hour, four-hour sessions, because they're so compact, they're like these enclosed stories and the good ones that everybody talks about. Everybody has these stories that they can tell each other about what happened. Yeah. And that's so, fun like, so, for them. And I think it's just fun in general. Before we get into this deeper, I will say there's also a downside on this, which is that if you haven't had all those experiences, you are often on the outs of trying to be in it, it is into a, some of those spaces. It can be a social barrier. But then again, they have like new seasons every year. So you can there's always jumping on point. And they're actually pretty smart about that. Yeah, and they're short sessions. If if everybody's like I'm not talking about the Adventures League. I'm, I'm talking about like the D D modules. The big ones? Sure. Like, uh, like but, but but they're updating them and you can play them. I mean, if somebody if you if if all of a sudden I rolled into a group and there was one person there who'd never heard of or played Tomb of Horrors and they had a character, I'm like, okay, you know what? We can sit down and we can play that because it's available and it will take nothing for me to sit down and just open it up and play it in fifth edition DD. It's right there for us. No, I'm, I'm with you on Tomb yeah. of Horrors because Tomb of Horrors is old, mm-hmm. right? I'm talking about like, for instance, the current Raven. I mean, yeah, like, like you guys who've played it aren't going to play it again, oh, and would... I've never played it, so I'm probably never going to get to play it. Probably kind of not. Thing, right? I like I, I didn't play it. I ran a game inside of it. Yeah. Sure, but I mean but, that's. But I'm saying, and we'll we'll jump back into this topic. The cautionary part of this is that the shared experience part is good, right? Mm-hmm. It is good, right? It it gives a common thread for mm-hmm. people to share experiences and talk about stuff like that. But it can also be a thing that excludes people if you are not into. But that's not what we're focusing on here, because the other half of it is because of the way that these things are, especially the newer stuff is done, is if somebody hasn't had that shared experience and they want it, they're giving up four hours of their time to do it. If somebody says, you know, gee, I want to, you know, I've always wanted to play. Jerry, that's not the point that Phil's making. He's talking about the big books, the the D&D Adventures League stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Coming at it from the psychological point of the bigger adventures, any bigger adventure, yeah. right? I will never get the Tales from a Loop experience that you guys got because sure. you took some of the adventure ideas from the book, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. I'll right. never get that ex- no, experience. Now, I don't feel on the outs for that. No. Psychologically. No, yeah. Like, it's cool that you guys have that experience and I like listening to the stories. So I'm not sure that it is, I'm not sure that it's a social barrier unless people make it a social barrier. Yes. So that's, sure. I don't think that's a problem with the game format or system. I think it's a problem with a social group. Yeah, sure. That's my argument for it. I'll I'll, I'll buy that. I think the difference between Tales from the Loop and D&D is like we played Tales from the Loop for seven months. Like if I played one of those big ass books, I'd be playing it for seven months. Yeah, no, but I mean, like four years ago, we never played it again. Sure. He's he's talking if you got one of the big books of D&D games. I mean, you essentially just made the same argument the other way, which is why I brought it up. Sure. All right. Returning back to the topic. Mm -hmm. Back onto this. Right. Most gamers are nerds. We like to have nerdy stuff in common. We love it when someone mentions a classic adventure or setting that, you know, I have something in common with, a common link to, maybe part of the in-jokes of a group, might have a story that you can add to the conversation. Like Briark. Isn't that Goblin Tongue for We Surrender? That's what the guy at the Keep told us. Yes, that's what it means. Actually, I don't even know what that reference is. That's from Keep on the Borderlands. It's the first false rumor you get is that the guard captain tells you Briark is Goblin Tongue for We Surrender. And then when you... Meet the goblins for the first time. They all yell Briark, and that's not what it means. Got you. I definitely played that adventure <laughs> in the 80s. That's why this is the third <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, In the 80s, and I don't I remember definitely that played at all. that adventure in, in the 80s. This is the, the third, 80s, this is the third time I've dropped, third time I've dropped, dropped Briark into the notes, and I thought for sure somebody would jump on it. Apparently, I uh, didn't know either, because I've never played Keep on the Borderlands. <laughs> the volume of things I've played in relation to Keep on the Borderlands. Old people. Yeah, anyway, moving God. on. Moving on, folks. <laughs> Modules like The Village of Hamlet, Crash on Volturnus, 
The Great Iridium Con, I don't even know that one, or even more recent adventures like The One Who Watches From Below have become legendary for the encounters and experiences that players have shared. One of my favorites, Expedition to the Barrier Peaks, gets mentioned here often, uh, and tens of thousands of gamers have fond memories of that adventure, and again, through Goodman Games, other people are getting a taste of it as well. Yep. Because of the age of our hobby, there are things from modules and published settings that have entered into pop culture. Um, these get referenced in other games or campaigns, items like Black Razor from White Plume Mountain, the Kender from Dragonlance, or certain goblin phrases from Keep on the Borderlands have become iconic in some gaming circles. Not this one, though. Apparently not this one. <laughs> and running one of these published <laughs> modules is a great way to share in those experiences with new gamers. It's okay, Jerry. We appreciate that you keep trying. Uh, eventually we'll remember. Somebody listening to this is going to get that reference. Yep. Yeah. Next time you do it, we'll remember. And, this... and if they do... Yeah. You should schedule your colonoscopy. Yeah, yeah this is true. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you've gotten your colonoscopy. Yes. You, if, speaking of temperature check, oh, <laughs> oh man, um, let me move on. Another reason that to use published settings and modules is because a lot of them are good. Creative homebrew material is often excellent, but there are well-written works out there for a number of games. Some of the best game designers in the industry have created some truly fun material that can supplement your own games or just provide an entertaining experience. In addition, there are adventures and settings for all sorts of tones. This can be especially useful if you're looking for a tonal change and want to see how it's been done in the past. Encounters that include horror, heists, suspense, weird fantasy, exploration, comedy, and courtroom drama. I object! No, no, no. You can continue. I want to see where this is going. Uh, thank you, Your Honor. I appreciate that. Mystery, romance, espionage, and more are all available for RPGs. Even if you choose not to run them as written, they are excellent examples of how to create those sorts of encounters and settings in your games. Published material like Trial of the Beast, which has a quick and fun way to run a fantasy courtroom sequence, or Mast of Narlathotep, which has an entire campaign devoted to otherworldly horror, horror and global conspiracy, can give GMs a good feel for adding new material to their games. I mean, I could do an entire show just about good Pathfinder adventures. Yeah, it'd be yes, easy. We, really could do, could. we could do a yeah. series of shows. Mm -hmm. We've talked them off the ledge a few times. Yeah. I also think it's good to look at published adventures because even if you don't use them, they can give you an idea of what the game designer's intent is for a typical adventure. I actually do this every time. Like I, even if I never played the adventure, I will always read whatever the intro adventure is to the game just for this. God, man, can I, I, there are so many bad ones though. Yeah, but I don't need the story plot. What I need to see is like, what, what does a stat block look like? How do they write out the difficulties for... Uh, checks like for instance the first time i did knights black agents how do you know how to lay out the clues yeah yeah that makes like sense. those like how do you write that down there there was a game system that came out a couple that more a couple years ago called tribe eight interesting game setting but in the initial couple of books i read through them thought it was really interesting oh no, we didn't do the car thing damn, damn. Yeah. yeah there it is this is usually my there spot there it is there it is <laughs> but i like the game and i liked i like the publisher but I read through the first two books and I'm like, I have no idea what an adventure looks like for this game. Mm -hmm. yeah. I have no idea who the adversaries are really going to be. I don't, and a good adventure would have at least told me this is what they planned on for the first adventure, yeah. which is because they did that in other games. Just that one they didn't. Actually, an adventure will just show you some of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't yeah. have to be good. Imagine trying to write and run your own DCC funnel without having seen another funnel. Without the help of somebody telling you, like, this is what a phone's supposed to be. I yes. mean, if they just told you this is an adventure where zero level characters get paired down to a couple of, of things. That would be very difficult. It huh? would be very difficult, mm -hmm. right? But the one that's actually stitched into oh, the book, good, right? Like, right? The good. one in the book is a perfectly decent. Serviceable. Yeah. And, and, and I'll say this before I, I'll release the topic back to everybody else. 
the thing with, especially with DCC low-level adventures, seeing it from the published material is, how do you make something super otherworldly and scary that doesn't just turn everything into paste? Yeah. DCC does an amazing job of making a first-level module terrifying without just being a flat-out meat grinder. It chases you through the tunnels with its billion eyes. That wasn't even a first-level adventure. So good. Anyway, go take a look at the published adventure just to see how you should assemble your own. Tom, right. you want to tell us about the next thing? Absolutely. For our last point of interest on published materials, we're going to talk about cutting, pasting, and reskinning. It's one of the best uses for published materials to help us with game prep. Phil, would you start us off with some cutting and pasting? Sure. Sometimes the rules, creatures, or equipment from published material have a direct correlation to the system you're using. If it's a similar genre, stat swap is often all you need. It's easy to replace the goblins in a fantasy trip adventure with goblin stat blocks from basic D&D. Just swap them out and you're done. That doesn't mean you always want to use everything from your published material. It's more important to capture the feel and intent of the parts you're using rather than transferring every character and piece of equipment. For example, Pathfinder adventures have great stories, but the campaign encounters often have tons of magical items to keep the opposition on par with the player characters. Converting that to a game like 5e or the Fantasy Trip, which have fewer magic items, might require dropping some rewards while bumping up the stats on the opposition. Either way, quick cut and paste with a few notes can make for a quick conversion. Now, Jerry, I know that the next section is one of your favorite topics. So how about you tell us about reskinning? I love reskinning. Reskinning is one of my favorite topics, and one we've touched on before. But when it comes to using published materials, reskinning can be an excellent way to take something from one game to another. As Phil said, when materials from one game translate directly into another game, you can cut and paste. Converting an interesting tavern or creative NPC personality can be as simple as simply restating them. However, some other situations may not convert over as easily. Many systems have different rules, different settings, or even different themes. On one hand, you may be converting one scenario or encounter from a fantasy game to a sci-fi adventure. On the other, you may be trying to put a complicated mystery adventure into a game focused almost entirely on combat skills. So, whatever the situation, you just need to decide two things. One, what is it you want to bring to your game? And two, how do you want to convert it? Remember, you don't have to convert everything. Start with as much cut and paste as possible, and then if it's an adventure, you may just want to focus on the story and encounters, converting the important details and stats. Well, this may be trickier if converting from one genre to another, the key is to focus on the intent of the encounter. Oh, it's example time. I love example time. Example so time. let's say if you want to run a zombie apocalypse adventure in a harder sci-fi game. Is that even a thing? Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. Why not? Yeah. We, we did this. Never mind. I, we did this a couple weeks ago. You can substitute robots for the zombies. That totally makes sense. Both can be run nearly as my... I mean, I have word scrambled so many times today. He's going through his jazz phase. Trying to give myself a space so I can start oh, talking. Not to bust into the Adams family. Just don't. <laughs> I thought he was doing like Jets and <laughs> The creepy and spooky, mysterious and ooky. They're all together, ooky. The Adams family. All right, you ready? Yeah, I'm Go good. Ahead. Both can be run as nearly mindless, tough to kill, relentless adversaries with a simple focus. The sense of anxiety and terror will be similar without breaking the genre. I actually did this. I took a zombie game and turned it into a Star Wars game by just replacing the zombies with Roger Roger robots. Roger Roger. Hundreds of Roger 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 coming over the hills. Dude, a lot of there was a modulated voice. There was an episode of, of Clone Wars or Rebels that had that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was yeah. great. What a great episode. Yeah. So converting the actual rules you want to adapt can be a bit trickier. Things like spells or superpowers might just use a variant of existing mechanic. However, not all games have similar characteristics. 
So if you want to add something new, you need to first look at what the rule is trying to do and then see what the closest rules equivalent is in your game. For example, you want to use an adventure that includes a courtroom drama. The rules for the court scenes include characters making a series of diplomacy skill checks versus a set difficulty. These difficulties are modified by the evidence presented and the arguments of the PCs. However, your basic D&D game, and we're talking the B from BX D&D, doesn't have skills. For this adaptation, you might decide that the players can make a role using either wisdom, intelligence, or charisma, modifying the difficulty level to match the new rules. This sort of change, even though it's not initially represented by the mechanics of the game, is kept simple and easy. In the end, reskinning should be kept simple, as this will keep it quick and help to avoid other problems with integration with the main game. And there it is, the first part of our conversation on using published material in your RPGs. Hope you managed to cut and paste some of these ideas into your prep, but we're not done yet. There's still the round table, but first, Bob, tell us about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. I would love to do that. But before I do that, yes, I'm going to say, hey, please go to our Patreon. And if you have the means, back us, become a patron and, you know, help us out a little bit because every little bit helps. If you do, we get some more patrons. I'll cut all of my flubs this week and put them into a special Patreon Ooh. clip for you all. If you like what we do here elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, consider supporting our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. What do patrons get? They get Stuff. access to the Slack Room for life. They do, which actually Phil invites people in the Slack Room for life to a nice little lunch on a certain Friday luncheons. They get the after show. They get the after show. They, they get, get the uh, Bamboo Lounge. Bamboo Lounge. They get transcripts of the show. We just had they, somebody ask, yeah. ask us for uh, details on one of the shows we did a couple weeks Very ago. Very flattering, actually. And yeah. sometimes <laughs> special stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think there's going to be a little special something that just crept into this video today. Oh, I think so. <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely. <laughs> Flub clip. All right, Quip. with that all being said, I would like to talk about Pandas Talking Games. Queer gamers talking about tabletop role-playing games and making outtakes, because the outtakes are the best part, right? Outtakes are back, by, my yeah, friend. back by popular demand. We have an editor. Join Pandas <laughs> Phil and Senda every Monday, answering listener questions about playing, running, and designing tabletop RPGs. Get cozy, and let's talk about some games on Wednesday, not Monday, because yeah, I think it got bumped. And somebody forgot to update the copy. Yeah, I hate that's when that true. That's true. Oh well. Today's been a, a whole series of destructive. It is. Ups. It is when it used to be Mondays. It is Wednesdays. The turnaround time got the turnaround time got to be too much. Hey, you, you know, that's fair. You know, although our new uh, our new editor Ryan Bolter, right? Just let me just plug this really it, right. Mm -hmm. Talk about fast turnaround. I bet we're like, oh, we've uploaded the files, and like, like, like the next day, Ryan's like, the episode's <laughs> ready for posting. It's like, holy shit, Ryan! Like. And it sounds great. I don't sleep. I just drank caffeine. Ah! Ryan Bolter's very good at what he does. He's editing on Tantrum. Tantrum! Tantrum! No, he's just really good at what he does. Yeah, he's yeah. good. He's <laughs> awesome. As much as I like the Tantrum joke. Big, big shout out and thanks I to Ryan Bolter. Hey, Ryan, right. thanks. Tantrum. Tantrum! So, let's jump into the roundtable with our first question. What is one piece of published material that you have used for a game, and why? Dun, dun, dun. And I'm going to just start off by doing giving you two short ones. I love the early Pathfinder adventures, both the APs and the modules. Definite good stories, interesting NPCs. But by AP, you mean actual, you mean uh, Adventure Path, not actual play, right? Yes, Adventure Path. Okay, okay, okay. Adventure Path. <laughs> good point. Context clues. The context clues would have gotten it, but I'm sure there's a bunch of listeners that are like, always explain abbreviations. I'm always behind that. Always. Uh, but I like I like both the Adventure Path, which were more complicated and longer adventures, and the short modules, because they often had good stories. They did. They had interesting NPCs, creative mm -hmm. plots, and a variety of encounters. They had fun side quests and detailed settings. Plus, they often added new ways of doing encounters. The two I'm going to talk about briefly are Into the Haunted Forest and Trial of the Beast. Carrying Crown, right? 
Yes, Trial Carrying of Beast is Carrying Crown. Yes, it is. Yep, Carrying Crown. Into the Haunted Forest was the Treasure Chest, was their first introductory adventure as a box set. Oh, okay. Uh, the first one, Into the Haunted Forest, is an introductory adventure that can be played in one four-hour session. It's got combat, a locked room mystery, world building, negotiations with the Fae, a rival adventuring party, a sarcastic witch, a puzzle-style encounter, a gnome named Lorky Hay Ganderhoodle, and a bunch of low-powered but creative and unique artifacts. Never never negotiate with the Fae. That's a terrible idea. Oh, the best it's, bar in New York <laughs> oh, City. No. I forget what you're talking about. Well, that list made it sound like uh, Stefan. Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> if you want to go to the best bar in New York City, I've got the place for you. Go it's, to the Carrion Crown. Uh, We've got <laughs> a combat, a locked room mystery, some world building, negotiations with the rival adventure party, sarcastic witch, puzzle style encounters, a bunch of low power but creative and unique artifacts, and a gnome named Lurky Hay Ganderhoodle. There I mean, go. it really just writes yeah, itself. It does, it, it does. does. But no, I like that adventure. And when I say low level artifacts, I'm things like, you get a, a vial that you can put liquid into once a day and get fresh water. You get a scroll you can put a spell onto once a day. You get um, a breastplate that has a flame you can light up at will to give light. Little mm. things like that. What's that called in uh, what's, that, what's that called in Cypher System? Oddities. Yeah. Oddities. But they're they're nice little artifacts the players can get. So they come out of it going, I got this cool mm -hmm. unique item. Mm -hmm. It doesn't unbalance the game at all. Nope. Yeah. And it gives you all of that in a four-hour session. Now, Travel of the Beast is part of the Carrion Crown Adventure Path. But it's easy to run as a multi-session generic scenario. I've used it in many, many game systems. Basically, the party has to research a series of crimes and then go to court to defend their client, who happens to be a Frankenstein's monster creature. This is a, a horror adventure game. So there's creepy mysteries, including a wraith made of eyes and a skin-sealing fey. There are cool set-piece encounters. There's a battle versus minions over the bubbling pits of an alchemical factory. And then, after fighting every day, you then have to go to the next day back to the courtroom, which have a simple mechanic that encourages the players to role-play. In fact, they actually tell the GM, like, if the players make a good enough argument and bring the evidence, let them roll dice, but let them win. If they're, if they're good at that. Mm -hmm. It's a great scenario. But all of that is easy to just reskin and put in another game. I have a third, but we're going to talk about that in the after show because I want to get on to somebody else. Phil. There are three games I can think of where I will use the published material over my own material every time. Mm -hmm. Dungeon Crawl Classics. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. The, the DCC modules are amazing, and they are a perfect fit for what Dungeon Crawl Classics is. I have never had a bad experience using them. They're always entertaining. Uh, weird, weird is all get out. Mm -hmm. yep. And I will still argue some of the best, in my favorite cartography. Yeah, it's The great. cartography oh, yeah. in those with all the stuff written and drawn into the sides oh, or whatever. That's so I love unique, it. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the next game is Paranoia. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. I cannot write a Paranoia adventure better than the classic Paranoia adventure. That's true, Frank Computer. Yes. Yellow, Yellow clearance, clearance, black, black box, box blues. blues. <laughs> right. Like, um, send in the clones. I cannot do it justice. It is just better to play the, the published adventures. And the last one, for almost the same reason, Toon. The adventures in Toon are hilarious. Mm -hmm. they, you do not need... You can come up with your own stuff. It's perfectly fine. In fact, they have random tables for making your own stuff. I've never played Toon. We could dust that guy off. <sighs> you can't play with young people because they don't have the cartoon context anymore. You have to have had, like, a Warner Brothers... Yeah, if you, ha if you haven't... Experience the, the classic sixties, seventies, yeah. like cartoons. Oh, a lot of it just. I doesn't. can play it then. I, yes, I am old enough to play that game. Yes, hey, but it's hey, it, Phil. Yep. This time we didn't forget the gravy. And this time, yeah. So <laughs> and tunes another one. All, all the tune books have a ton of adventures in the back of them, and the best part about tune is that it needs zero continuity to go from playing one adventure to the next. Like, yeah. oh, we're cavemen in this adventure. Whatever. Like. 
expect everybody to... put a leopard skin on because your characters are now the caveman. But we're still rabbits and, and yeah, yeah, and exactly. Everything else. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. I could take my finger, put it in the rabbit hole, and just drag it to the right so the coyote can volunteer. Yeah, that's yes. exactly yes. how tune plays. Yeah, okay. But you have to know those. You have to know those shticks. Yeah. In order for it to work, like for instance, you can actually have the Acme catalog. Where, that's actually a book uh, in the game. Yeah, where you could where you order something and one d six turns later it shows up and doesn't do exactly what you want it to. My my personal favorite is there are actual there's a sidebar rule in the book about what happens when you run off a cliff. You have to make an intelligence check to not look down. If your intelligence is low enough and you fail the check, you're fine. <laughs> You've run off the cliff, but you are not bright enough to know you should fall until you look down. Yeah, or until somebody tells you to look down. Mm -hmm. Yes. Anyway, those are three games that. I just, for all the stuff I write, and I write a lot of stuff, those are three games where every one of those is what I think is better than what I could put together. I feel like if you were born after 2000, you should just go look for Tiny Toon Adventures and then go look for the Warner Brothers catalog with Bugs Bunny and Albert mm -hmm. Flood and all them. Yeah, it's such a different, um, Toon's a very different, anyway. Yeah, good it's luck. a different beast. Yeah. Skip and roll on, Chris, my Man, friend. I, I use so many monsters that I just reskin and redesign into something completely different, but I always start with like a base monster. This is like the biggest thing that I do. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I have used a single monster as it is in our legacy of the archmage game i think every single monster has been reskinned in some way shape and or form yeah you, you you don't trust anything you see the first time you see it never <laughs> never i also ran the eberron adventure league season as a campaign that i heavily modified for the mm -hmm. game that i was running it for i believe uh jerry was in that game yeah that, that, that's sitting at this table bob came later but that was after it was almost over I mean, it was an experiment for me to see if I could take an AL Adventure Path style set of scenarios and weave them into something that had meaningful character development for PCs and NPCs. Guess what? It worked. Uh, I didn't even read ahead. I just did it just in time. Like, here's the adventure. All right, I ran it. Okay, let's, what's the next one? I'm like, well, oh boy, <laughs> that happened a lot. Just in time campaign structure is about to become an episode. Like, sure. Yeah, we totally should do that. Put a pin in that, Bob. Yeah, pin that up. And then, and then I started adding other things to the sides of it to like, Fill in the, those B, those C and D stories for the characters. Mm -hmm. It was fun. I had a good time. Okay, there, there's me, Bob. Cool. Yeah, so I ran a year-long 4E D&D campaign mm -hmm. where I used the published modules that that uh, Watsi put out as part of the uh, the new run. It was fun, and, uh, and it was spooky. Yeah, we, was we had a ball with it. I mean, I did it <laughs> ostensibly to minimize my prep and then turned around and spent hours and hours and hours making cardboard battle maps and tokens for all the characters and the monsters and and my my prep time went through the roof it was anyway, good but... until that one crappy adventure it wasn't <laughs> totally not your fault <laughs> which adventure was that oh, it was the, the pyramid of shadows head. with the head yes. of Varelis. Oh, oh, severed the head, head of... talking to them oh, yeah they wanted to throw it in a volcano never have i disliked a npc more than the head of Varelis. but yeah i, I ran that stuff <laughs> very very little change unless i you know was tweaking on the fly for um quote balance purposes if you guys were blazing through something too quickly and it needed <laughs> that's to be, totally fair because they were a well-oiled machine but i'm gonna slap yeah. an extra 100 hit points on this thing just to get it through yep. another couple turns i'm gonna ask this next question because i can't haha -ha. even though i'm not supposed to you're doing it anyway so gentlemen what is your one or one of your favorite published materials that you have adapted for a different genre or mechanic yeah i thought about this i think the closest i get to this is eureka which was purposely made for this their material that you're supposed to take and reskin and and fit into your game it's my go-to when i can't think of an adventure is like just eureka roulette just grab eureka open a page read a couple of adventures and be like oh i could run this and then you know grab it and shove it into whatever game i'm running and stat it up that kind of thing Do you know that i don't have any that's work i don't like doing for role-playing games 
I mean, I'll grab mechanics from other games, but that's outside of uh, adventures and settings. Like, I, uh, it's just not something that I'm interested in doing. I haven't done it either, um, mostly because it's been a long time since I ran a game. I never really kind of thought about those kind of things back in the day. Can, can I just say that I thought about this question for an hour before I answered it, <laughs> trying to find an answer. And I'm like, you know what? The reason I've never done it is because I hate doing it. That's fair. It's fair. See, see, I'm, I'm the flip side. When I was at college and when I was growing up, especially since I lived in the country and there weren't people to game with, I would spend hours just converting stuff from one game system to another. I would take a champion's module and convert all the characters in it into V and V and Marvel. Just mm -hmm. to just now that also gave me an understanding about how game mechanics work. That's something I also used to do when I was trying to learn a new game system or, or a game system like this game looks like it's sucky. Let me see if I can convert these characters into something else. But yeah, but that was just something I did. But the thing I did was uh, what I talk about is Curse on Harith by the Companion. It's an old game out of print that has a decent story structure. It's what I've talked about before. That was the first time I saw a game that said, this is what happened before the players showed up. This is what happens if they don't do something. It's an it's a good introductory scenario because it's got a good detailed plot with lots of crisscrossing in it. Uh, the kind of things that would be an adventure path today. That'd be mine. I, I've converted. I've run it in basic D and D, first edition D and D, third edition D and D, Savage Worlds, Barbarians of Lemuria, Iron Claw. Yeah, well, Savage Worlds is easy. You, you no, know, yeah. Barbarians of Lemuria. I, yeah, I find that fascinating. Yeah. To me, in my head, this is not intended to be disparaging towards mm -hmm. you. But in my head, the idea of like, I want to convert a bunch of stuff from one game system to another to see if I to learn the mechanics is the to me the most inefficient way I could ever think of to like learn the mechanics of a game. Mm -hmm. But I get it. Like, right. Well, like, that, well that's because you get to play games. When I was younger, I didn't. I would go weeks without playing a game. Dude, man, I, when I'm trying to learn a game, I will just set up stuff for myself and play it mm -hmm. by myself just to see what happens. Well, I can definitely see that, too. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I, I just just something I find it fascinating to try to see how things work back and, and, and forth. And I do get to play a lot of games. Like yeah, when yeah. I want to play a game, I just put it on the table and be like, "Come play with me." And people usually show up. I'm the eternal. I'm the eternal GM. Yeah. I always. I always could get a game to the table. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Once once I got to college, it was a lot easier because I had three or four gamers living on my floor, and that's sure. why we gamed four to six nights a week. Yeah. Different games all the time, and and different games every night. It was so. But so, uh, yeah, it just does something different. So the closest thing I've ever come to Jerry's example of running the same adventure in multiple settings and i don't know if it counts as dangerous space jail technically published material yeah. technically but i once made it into a dcc funnel yep mm -hmm. yep and i actually ran it as a masks uh as a masks adventure yeah, at that QCC. counts that counts there you go it, counts. it used it used all the same it mm -hmm. i reskinned it to yep, be sure. a interdimensional yeah. super mm -hmm. prison that appeared over prom night mm -hmm. yep it, it hit all the same notes definitely yep. I wish I could think of something. I still had just, there's nothing. Right. No, I don't think I, it's a requirement. Yeah, I don't think yeah, it's a requirement. No, it's just weird because it that seems like a, a thing that people tend to do. I would like to know, folks out there in listener land, do yes. you do this and what have you yeah. done it to? Let us know. Uh, uh, I don't know. We have a forum, but really, I don't know. I don't even know what a good, I don't check the forum, so I don't know what a good place to Jump in the forum. Us. Yeah, jump in the what, what's, forum. Tag us, tag us in social media. Yep. If you're it's Twitter or nothing yeah. for me, I guess. I'm um, on Discord. Well, if you tag the show, we'll if you tag yeah. the show, we'll one yeah. of us will see it. Yeah. That's true. If you're a Patreon member, just throw in the Slack. Those folks yell at us all the time. Mm -hmm. I feel like we need a better public space for people to talk to us. Do we? Yeah. <laughs> we can revisit that. Yeah. Do we? All right. All right. Yes. That brings us to the end of this particular topic. That's right. So Good let's topic, roll on into Thank the you. convo corner. Yeah, buddy. Woo! All right. Hey, so, one thing, Bob. What you got? My one thing for this week is I just finished a complete rewatch of Star Wars Rebels, <gasps> and 
It is just as good as it was the first time I watched it. The world building in that and the the seeds that they laid down without probably even realizing that they were doing it. The seeds that they laid down for The Mandalorian, for the upcoming Ahsoka show, for all of these things that are coming out now in live action. They laid down a lot of ground and carved a path in that direction. And there are just so many moments in that show that just, I, I love that. I'm, I'm, I will go back and watch that again, probably in the not too distant future, because it's so good. But that's, that's one of my favorite Star Wars properties. One of my favorite things about that, uh, the first couple seasons of that, especially the first season, is that they did not nearly have the budget that they needed to make that show. And it shows. Like, you can see that there's just things missing from, like, little towns and places that they're in. And still, that show just sings. Yeah. In ways that I didn't think it should. And then you can tell the moment when somebody was like, Hey, Dave Filoni, who, you know, if you're any kind of like Disney Star Wars fan, you know who Dave, you know, Dave Filoni's name at this point. He was the lead guy on on Rebels and he worked on a ton of the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. You could tell the moment they're like, hey, we're going to do more stuff, do stuff in the future TV shows. I want you to be part of that. Yeah. And then you can see him start laying down all that groundwork in the later seasons. Good, good stuff. And they dipped into the into the archives too because they did they dipped into the uh, the old um, expanded universe novels. They pulled Thrawn out from sure what, in my opinion, was one of the best series of books from the old school novel era. Like when there was like maybe from the expanded universe, fifteen books. Yeah, Timothy Zahn's trilogy. Timothy Zahn's uh, uh, Star Wars trilogy, uh, Heir to the Empire. Uh, now I can't remember the other. The Last Command. Dark Storm Rising was that one of them? I don't remember. I, don't I just found the Zahn the trilogy. It yeah. was it was a great trilogy. I read it back in the day when it came out. Thrawn was one of those characters that like this guy is really cool, and then they bring him out in Rebels, and it's like oh yeah, and the voice actor that they got for him, yeah. his voice is perfect because it's smooth and creepy, and it's just like oh you bastard, this guy's an evil son of a bitch. <laughs> Actually, I don't even think he's really evil. That's no, another story. He's evil. He's evil. <laughs> he's 100% evil. He's he's totally... It's yeah. all about light and dark, man. He is definitely the dark... He's a, <laughs> he's, he's a sociopath. Sure. He's, he's not a psychopath. He's a sociopath. But He's very good at it. But, but, very, but, very but you love to hate him. Yes, I mean, you absolutely. love to hate him. Looking very much forward to when they bring him into live action. And I hope the guy who did the voice gets cast because there's really no reason not to because he could definitely play the part visually too. Star Wars Rebels, if you haven't seen it, it's on Disney+. Plus. Four seasons, 15 episodes, 22, 22, and then 15 again. Mm-hmm. They're like half an hour, so yep. like 24 minutes-ish an episode. It's got a better Obi-Wan Darth Maul duel than Duel of the Fates. <sighs> so good. I so will, I'll go stand on that hill and die yeah. on that one. That's There's fine. So, and so many complicated characters and character arcs and, and redemption story arcs, arcs and, and all sorts Ezra. of stuff. Yep. That's yep. just kind of whiny. A little bit. But he, he, he has a lot of growth. So yeah. yeah. All right. Phil. Oh, Ox game this Sunday. Good, uh, good showing as always. A lot of fun. We're still in our courtroom drama uh, <laughs> section. Yeah. Like we haven't really. What are you talking about? It's a heist now. We're moving to heist. Yes. We're moving Box heist. To... Box heist. We just planned the heist. Yes. Yeah. So we're. Um, but it's fine. I mean, this game. I like what this game does. I think that. Um, I think we're a session or so away before we'll kick it back into going into space and solving space disaster kind of stuff. I- I'm not going to push it. Like. We'll know when we get there. Like, yeah, it gets there when it gets there. Gets there when it gets there. Um, I have no timetable on that game, so we play as long as we all think it's as long as we all think it's fun. And I think there's, you know, probably going to get to an end of a story somewhere. 
I love that the crux of the game is super scientists solving space problems. Yet that has become pretty much like the B and C stories of the game for like the last like seven sessions. <laughs> it's fine. Well, it's well, great. Yep. What I love is we've gone from uh, genius rescue genius rescue mission to basically criminal geniuses for the for a couple of weeks. I mean, we're we're doing it for a good cause, but we yes. are def we are definitely going to break several interplanetary laws. We we've been criminals for a lot longer. We just do stuff without talking to the government. This is true. Constantly. Any government. Any yeah. governments. Yeah. Yeah. We, we're like we know better than them. We're just going to do what we think is right. That's, That's true. We're very egotistical. We're doctor. I, we're doctor dooming it. So. I, I, I will say um, I don't know if the game would have survived the length it did if the secondary storyline didn't um, go as far as it's going to go. Right. Like if there if, if there was no secondary storyline, all you did was every week was solve a space space disaster. I hate to tell you this, Phil, but that second second secondary storyline, it was actually the main plot of the game. Yeah. Which one? The one with the the the, the builders. Yeah. That's the main storyline. Yeah, technically, game. that's the main yeah. one. Sure. <laughs> Almost every problem we solve is is either related to them in some way, shape, or form, or related into... Sure, related but the first the... couple of adventures, it doesn't look like that. No, no, no. but we <laughs> talked about this in, in session one or two, that when we got done with the first adventure, or first first session, we, we talked about the fact that we wanted to... Actually, it was session zero. Yeah, because... this isn't anything new. Like, we, yeah. we told you specifically, we wanted a through-line story. Yeah. Yes. And that, we want, and that we wanted the disasters to be... <clears throat> There's something behind at least some of the disasters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because you laid the groundwork for that in the first uh, disaster when we found the sabotage. Yeah. The smartest thing you do is lay two separate places that that was coming from because yeah. that made it not just one note. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Smart, smart, good and storytelling. Then, and, and then tying everything mm -hmm. and then tying it all into. You can't take any credit. Tying it on the, on the Chris's love <laughs> life. That's all right. You didn't make it up the stuff that's ingrained in our minds. We just do it naturally. Yeah. People that actually like, even if you don't think about storytelling, people are human beings are natural storytellers. Mm -hmm. And we, we do this so much that we have told so many stories that we should probably be pretty okay at it, yep. even without thinking about it. Yeah, I like to. I mean, I don't. Um, I don't sit and like sharpen. Like, oh, I'm gonna do that. Like, sure. A lot of times, I'm just heading into the shower with like, mm, what's gonna be interesting for this coming week, and yeah. then somewhere in the middle of the shower, I'd be like, got it. Like, roll on out, get some notes written down. I call that bathroom brilliance. We call that we call that pantsing it in the writing world. Just yeah, writing, writing from the seat of your pants, man. Mm -hmm. Again, just in time, just in time campaign design. We're go. going to be talking about it sometime in the future. Yeah. Anyway, Ox was great. You guys are fantastic. I, uh, I one love getting to run for you guys. I love the setting. I love this game. Um, I also it gives me an excuse to bake. Um, <laughs> cookies, <laughs> cookies and ice cream cake. Uh, ch chocolate, chocolate chip cookies with a little leftover toffee from the week before. Not bad. Not bad. Not, Not bad. bad. Oh, good. Coming around soon on cranberry orange muffins. I want to make them before Thanksgiving so I can bring them for Thanksgiving. So you guys might have to be my um, might have to be my guinea pigs. I volunteer for tribute. I also saw an <laughs> apple. I saw a chai apple spice cake that I, I looked Ooh. at. I saw the recipe for it and I was like, I should totally make this. This is called clever. He talks about oxes as one thing, but since baking is involved in it, he has to do two. Anyway, I'm out. Smart. <laughs> Smart. Out. Jerry, what's your thing? Uh, I've been watching Cyberpunk Revelations. Done. Um, great cartoon. <laughs> Good action, good anime. Which one? Um, Cyberpunk, not Edgerunners. Edge 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 Cyberpunk Edgerunners. Cyberpunk Edgerunners. Cyberpunk Edgerunners. Okay, cut that. We'll start over again. <laughs> I've been watching Cyberpunk Edgerunners. Um, it's on Netflix. It's an excellent little anime. Animation's great. Yep. The action's great. The storyline's great. Characters are interesting. The overall look of it is really interesting. Um, lots of good details. And uh, as somebody who basically grew up playing the Cyberpunk role-playing game, it's neat to see it on screen 
in a way that is faithful to the feel of the game itself. And also just fun to see there's a lot of background stuff. They go to a bar and sitting in the bar is Rogue, who is a character from the original cyberpunk book. Um, she's the she's the solo you see with the gun inside the full illustration if you've played the original black box book. Um, lots of little details like that. It just it's got the feel. It's got a good storyline. Um, it's it's over the top action, but nothing you couldn't actually play in cyberpunk. Oh, no, it's pretty. I mean, it. It's all the notes. Did yeah. you finish it? No, no. Oh, I'm no. the only one who's finished this. I'm dying. Yeah. You guys got to like, I'll, I'll watch the hurry the hell off yeah. from the next day. <laughs> this, week, this, this, this week I'll work on it. I, I, I got some time. I got, I got, How did like, I yeah. finish a thing before you guys? Look, I had to. I, I got caught up watching a soccer anime, okay? Oh, yeah? I'm not going to talk about that. Yeah. It's but anyway, just it's it's a great it's a great hmm? anime. It's Very a enjoyable. Fun. And not for 30, kids. 30 minute. 30 not minute. Kids, no. Yeah. 30 minute episode. You've been warned. Yep. Oh, it's definitely explicit. Yes, it is. As a der- and one deranged character in that story. All right. I've gotten that far yet, Chris. Oh, do I get to go? Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. I uh, I got a really nice surprise for my birthday. I got Descent Legends in the Dark. Uh, it's a board game. The new edition. It's the newest edition of Descent. Boy, is it so good. We played it last night for the first time. Uh-huh. Uh, I probably didn't sleep enough because I stayed up to learn how to play it when I got <laughs> home from work because I work nights. So I stayed up to like, you know, 1130 learning how to play it myself. It's got... Uh, it, it's got an app-based guided thing for the game master no. side of it. So, like, I, it's just me and Jen and Bridget playing against the app. Uh, we are getting to the point where one, they're basically using the the app to keep keep track of your inventory, keep track of um, a bunch of like all the bad guy stats and things like that. So, like, we fought something with a head like seventy hit points. It did it perfectly. Ooh. It's keeping track of like what it's uh, what the weaknesses are for the bad guys and things like that and their conditions and things. So like it automatically does all the math for you. Like this is amazing. Plus the terrain, the 3d terrain that it, it created is, is amazing. There's like this really cool, it's about, um, it's about six inches tall, a uh, mm-hmm. bone dragon that oh, it came yeah. with the game. Yeah. Like I had to put it together, but it's got all kinds of like leveled terrain too. So like it's got height and things like that. That's cool. It is yeah. really cool. On top of the game, just like the gameplay is super fun. The minis are great. Uh, I like I like all that stuff a lot, but the app is killing it for me, man. Like aside from the stuff that I talked about, there's like an overall map part of it that, like I said, keeps track of your inventory like a video game, and you're in a city that you can like go to the blacksmith or the item shop or your training place to like train up your characters and use all the different things to equip your characters with new loadouts for items, and it remembers it for the specific weapons that you loaded out for. It's I'm like, what are we doing here? Like, are we playing a video game? Are we playing a board game? We're doing both now. It's got the voice of Galron. It does. <laughs> there, there was there are voiced cutscenes in the game when when you when certain when certain things happen in the game nice. that, that are animated too. Like cool. I'm like, this is a visual novel. That like cool. as I'm playing a board game, this is ridiculous. That's should, a lower decks reference for our friends. Yeah, listening. we should yeah. sit and the four of us should sit and play just so you can see it. Just sometime, I'll just I'll bust mm-hmm. it out one of these days. We'll get together. It takes a little while. Like we, it took us two and a half hours to play it. Yeah. So but cool. that, that's my whole thing. Descent, Legend of the Dark. Holy Lord, was I not expecting it? Cause it's expensive, but man, was it nice to get it. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, let's do some Patreon shout outs. Thank you so very much to Rory McLeod, Savannah Sizer, Steve Bissonette, Steve Radabaugh, T. Kustik, Theodore Atkinson, Tom Hay, Victor Wyatt, who just returned to the Slack. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ryan Megala and Matthew Schrader. And thanks to everyone for listening.
If you're enjoying this podcast, you can get more content through our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Mark, where we release videos on Tuesdays along with other content on our Patreon. Maybe we release videos on Tuesdays. Maybe we release videos on Tuesdays. <laughs> Sometimes. You know what? You'll only know if you go and look. That's yes. right. I'm just awesome. I'm, I'm, trap I'm, I'm, them. Yeah, you trap did a good job. I'm, try, I'm trying stuff. I'm getting around to it. We're messing around with some stuff. It's a work in progress. We're exploring. And you can also listen to some of our other shows in the Mr. Mark Network, such as They're a Super Geek, Mastering Dungeons, Bonestone Obsidian, Panis Talking Games, The Gnome Cast, Bonus Experiences, and the amazing back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and should check out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and the all-new GM Mastermind. You know, you can tell when we wrote this copy or when we pulled this copy out, because I don't think that... Thaco with advantages Thaco in there. with advantages on there. No, That's it's also not. a show. We're going to slide oh, that in there. Oh, we're going to slide that in there. Brand new show. We also Brand have new Thaco show. with advantage. You like D&D stuff? There you go. Yeah. Before you pop open that published adventure and get it ready to run at your table, leave us some feedback. Hit us up directly on the emails, if you remember how to use them. I do. Uh, there mm-hmm. you go. Excellent. Uh, MMP at misdirectedmark.com. Show up on the Twitters. The show in the network is at misdirectedmark. Robert M. Everson. GM Gerrymander, The Light 101. Smooth Jazz. And me, DNA Film. Hey, you remember that Patreon we mentioned earlier? If you want to support us and other shows from Misdirected Mark Productions, you can do that at patreon.com slash MMP. Your patronage will get you access to the After Show podcast, our show notes, the Bamboo Lounge podcast, and other special releases when we have them. Something will come out sometime eventually. I'm thinking about a special release this week. Yeah? I got to go back. I started working on one. Really? 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 Chris, I'm so confused right now why you would do that. Uh, I mean, because I'm a child at heart. Yeah, because I have a childlike sense of humor. And this, funny. this has been a mystery to my production. The media arm of encoded designs. This is my disappointed voice. Mic drop. We out.